Welcome back to The Road to Seven with Sheila Cummins. I am your host, Sheila Cummins, and today my guest is Colleen O'Connell Campbell. And if you've ever wanted to really understand what it's like to be the only woman in a room, or you've struggled with being the only woman in a room, or you're not making moves because you might be the only woman in a room full of men, then this is an episode that you don't want to miss. My guest today is an incredibly impressive woman. Colleen O'Connell Campbell, lead of O'Connell Campbell Wealth Management at RBC Dominion Securities, was born and raised in the Ottawa Valley here in Canada. She's a married mother of two young adults. Caring deeply about her community, she is actively involved in local causes, highlighted by her involvement around mental health advocacy and fundraising. Colleen embarked on her professional journey while still in university, working the weekend shift as a teller beginning in 1994. Shortly after earning her BComs from Carleton University in 1996, Colleen shifted into personal banking and then to a financial planning role. Within the following year, she began establishing her own clientele as wealth advisor. Colleen specializes in building and strategizing financial plans that optimize how entrepreneurs, self-made millionaires, and wealthy families spend, save, and share their wealth. She supports cash-rich exits for the self-made nation. She publishes a weekly blog, hosts a podcast, and speaks regularly as an expert in areas relating to wealth management and entrepreneurship. This is a fantastic interview that shows you the inner workings of really carving your way in a field where you are the minority and where the odds of your success can be stacked against you. Welcome to The Road to Seven. I'm your host, Sheila Cummins. I am an entrepreneur, a mentor, an investor, a wife, and mom to three beautiful children. Women entrepreneurs are up-leveling and changing the rules for business strategy, leadership, success, money, and impacting the world every single day. The Road to Seven is the diary of business strategy for women entrepreneurs. We meet you where you're at in your business and champion you along the road to your vision. And I am honored you chose to join us today. Ready to go? Buckle up. It's time to hit the road. I met my guest today at a networking event and we hit it off right off the bat. But what was interesting is I actually had unofficially met her before the networking event when we were both taking a coaching certification and we both needed a partner to practice coaching on. And we had just the most incredible conversations through that process. And then I got to meet her just randomly at a a networking event. And my guest today, Colleen O'Connell Campbell, is fascinating. And she's on this powerful mission to double the number of self-made millionaires that there are here in Canada. And she specializes in working with entrepreneurs to not only maximize their business, but make it a value-laden offering that could be sellable when they're finished, or they could pass it on and be a legacy business. And it's such a really interesting path that she's been on that this is a story that I know you, the listener, needs to hear. Colleen, thank you so much for joining us today. 
It is my pleasure, Sheila. I'm so grateful for the invitation. We always have the best conversations and just a little bit of unofficial background. Colleen and I, in the winter when my son plays, well, all my kids play hockey and I was sitting outside the hockey arena, we ended up getting on the phone and chatting on some random Saturday morning. And I was sitting in my car with the heated seats and the heater on, you know, all comfortable. And I think you were out running or walking in the freezing cold. Even of that is not lost on me. But <laughs> but anyway, just you have not always been in wealth management, Colleen. How on earth did you get started on this track? And how did you get to this mission of doubling the number of self-made millionaires here in Canada? Well, to say it's a journey would be, I guess that's the cool. It's, it's been a journey. I, <laughs> it's I, an I, understatement of 2021. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's not over the final destination. That's for sure. Certainly if we took things way back to, you know, high school days, way back in the day, I wanted to emulate my father. You know, he was my mentor, still is. That's a whole other story. He's got some of his own challenges with Parkinson's and so forth. But he's one of my biggest influencers. And he was a teacher. And he was an amazing teacher. And I really looked up to him. And I always thought I wanted to be a teacher. And then somewhere along the way, I determined that that wasn't what it was going to be. I studied maths and sciences in high school and got really, unfortunately, really turned off science because of a male-dominated whatever you want to call it, physics experience, physics, not physical, physics, like science, physics. I decided that I didn't want to go in down the science route. So I said, okay, if I'm going to go to university, here's my practical side of myself that's always been there. I'm paying the bill here. What am I going to do that's going to be somewhat practical? And yet knowing, somehow knowing back when I was 18, 19 years old, that university didn't guarantee a job. I still wanted the university experience. So I, I decided to apply to business commerce. So I took a four-year program at Carleton University Commerce. And that was my uh, entry into accounting 101 and economics 101. I hadn't ever studied those subjects. So when in top line theory as opposed to practical, it was it was interesting. And because of being in a business program and because I had a mother-in-law who sadly passed away this year, worked in a local bank, one of our major banks. She said, you're in business, come work in the bank part-time. So I did. I do have some background for quite some time in, in various levels of banking, but not so much wealth management and, and finance from that perspective. So I got started in the bank as a teller and a customer service, you know, pretty entry level, but it paid the bills and it was great experience. And kind of just opportunities presented themselves and I opened the door. And that's essentially how I ended up where I am now. I was doing really well in the retail banking world, mostly from the credit perspective. So working with clients in setting up mortgages, you know, reviewing car loans. And this is back in the mid-90s. So things have changed quite, quite, quite a bit from you know, those days for me, student loans, you know, you don't really see a whole lot of that happening at the in the bank world anymore. But we used to facilitate the government programs at the bank branches. And I got really disillusioned because I have a creative side, you know, which is why I've, I have a podcast and blog and all that kind of stuff. But I have this creative side that was being really stifled in the bank branch environment. And 
I got really frustrated and I went looking for for other opportunities. And it just so happened that an opportunity presented itself at a sister part of the bank that I was with. And I went there, interviewed for three three jobs, actually. There was financial planner. There was an associate to what was still called at that time brokers or stockbrokers, which now we consider investment advisors or wealth advisors like what I'm doing now, or the branch administrator. And this was in the infancy of of the industry looking at doing financial planning. That's where I landed for about a year or so. And that's really how I got into wealth management and investment management is my time acting in the role of a financial planner. And that's still really my focus. And the investments are a result of what are, what are my clients' greater plans. And if you wanted to fast forward, that's what brings me to my big, hairy, audacious goal of doubling the number of self-made millionaires in Canada, because through this journey, I've come to truly believe that the engine of our economy are business owners. So how do I help business owners create the most value in their business, which in turn will support me and what I'm doing in wealth management, you know, when they monetize, sell, you know, when there's different strategies that need to be implemented that cross over between the business and the personal. That's kind of the, as calling the Coles notes version as much as possible as I can. <laughs> but, but it's, you know, it, it's one of those careers where I think it, it sort of scaffolds. You have to do the entry level to be able to get to the next. You had to do the retail to find the opportunity and the wealth, like, you know, the wealth management's leading you to the hairy audacious goal. Like all of those scaffold and build on each other. And I think, you know, I mean, that's really the way entrepreneurship rolls. It's not as straightforward. It's, it's circuitous. It's up and down. Sometimes you go forward. Sometimes you go backwards. Absolutely. But you know, what's interesting to me though, is you said you didn't go into science because there was a patriarchal experience that you had. Yet here you are in wealth management, which is sort of the epitome of patriarchy. <laughs> so how's it, what's it like being a woman in this playing field? Oh, wow. That's a loaded, that's a loaded question. I have felt for a very long time that it's a strange thing. Like I've, I feel like I've navigated very well, but I will say that the world, it has, we have lots of, lots and lots of runway for continued improvement. You know, I've said for years that my experience has been, yeah, you know, you can, you can make whatever you want of your business and there are plenty of su successful women, but reality is there's only about 15, 16% of the wealth advisors in Canada, at least in a role like mine are women. So what is, what does that say? It's the little things, which I've come to learn in, you know, in, in other areas that are called microaggressions. I didn't know, I didn't realize that until recently in, in doing my own work around, we're not even going to be able to touch on that, but in the kind of the Black Lives Matter and the Indigenous community and having my eyes open to that and, and learning. I'd never heard of this term before, but frankly, there's definitely the that experience when it comes to being a woman in a in a, a male dominated arena, especially. And I I don't even like to describe it this way, but in my own household, it's quite the role reversal from kind of the traditional family in that I've been the major breadwinner of the household. My husband stayed home with our boys during you know fundamental years of elementary and high school with them for eleven years, in fact. And I would bring him to industry events 
we would enter the room. This is like a small, small example, but it, it eats at you a little bit at times. Small, small example, we walk into a, a space and others in the room will come up to my husband and say, hi, how are you? And he'll be like, hey, hey, I'm just the eye candy here. I'm just here on for the ride for the free drinks and the food. <laughs> but that, I mean, to think that that's still happening in the 2010s, you know, in the 2015s of the of this era. I'm a little example, tiny example. But I think it also speaks volumes to reality. And I think it's also important to note, we are white women that are working in a male-dominated field. And to all those women that are women of color that are fighting for their space at the table, I think the microaggressions that we have experienced, and and that story I want to tell in a moment, but it's nothing compared to what women of color are facing. And I think it's part of all of our responsibilities just to help other people see the impact mm-hmm. of what they're doing. And, you know, I used to, I don't, not a lot of people know this, but I used to be in cadets when I was growing up. I had been a, an extensive competitive swimmer and had to give it up because I blew out my shoulders. And one place where I turned to was cadets and I liked the structure in the Anyway, fast forward, I was the first chief warrant officer for the 48th Highlanders Cadet Corps. And they didn't know what to do with me because no woman had ever been bagpiped onto a parade square before. And so that had to go up all the ranks. Like, was I allowed to actually be bagpiped on when I was going to do my job simply because I was a woman? And they also didn't know what to dress me in because women at that point were not allowed to wear the kilts. They had to have a pleated skirt. So I had to go and have a special skirt made, which looked exactly like the kilt, but it was a different. And, you know, there wasn't any one moment where... I didn't feel welcome, but there were many micro moments where I was an inconvenience and I was a a hassle and people didn't look at me and they looked over me to, you know, the guy who was my right hand and he would often get called in to do things. And, you know, thank goodness he was much like your husband would be like, "Uh, actually, that's the chief warrant officer's job. So I'm just going to send chief warrant officer Gus Davison in to go and deal with it. That's my maiden name. You know, even now, as I step into this financing arm of the road to seven and providing micro lending, I am the only woman around the table having these conversations. How have you or what are some of the internal things that you have had to do to really feel comfortable with your space at the table? Wow. I didn't think we'd be talking about this. Well, I know, but it's a really important conversation. Let's just say there are some days where I feel much more confident than others, which essentially I think that boils down to our our headspace, our mindset, the internal game, and maybe game is not the right word, but just internally, how are we processing things? So when I'm in my best space, which means when I've been eating properly, sleeping right, doing my journaling and my meditation and you know, sticking to my schedule, then I'm in my best space and I have the most confidence. And so I can, I can literally show up as myself. And I, I have now, you know, 20, where are we here? 20 plus years experience in wealth management and much more in finance plus a degree in, in business. So why shouldn't I be confident? Right. You know, it's, it's there, but on the days or the weeks or the months where things will fall off the rails because let's face it, we're human and things happen, you know, and this year would be a prime example of that. Like earlier this year, it was a nightmare trying to stay away. I mean, on my own podcast, we don't swear whatever I want to say something else that 
I mean, it was literally like the convergence of, I don't know, probably the worst year I've had since the year that I lost my brother to suicide because my father who has Parkinson's had a fall, broke his shoulder. He needed a lot of support. We were COVID, like midst of COVID. We're chatting here as, you know, COVID is still a real thing, but we've learned to manage. We Many of us have vaccines or we're wearing masks or we're, we're not so isolated, but, you know, this was still quite COVID. This was, I was had a team that was lacking in distinct competencies and various things that were creating a lot of havoc. I had a mother-in-law that was really suffering with a lot of pain with an illness called PLS, which is in the ALS family. She ended up in palliative care for six weeks. Like It was just like everything. So everything was converging together into the, the perfect storm. And I was not my best self. And I was feeling like I was not competent and it wasn't about competency. It was about all of these other things going on in my environment and my ability to have take best care of myself. I think speaking to how do I cope with being, you know, in a space, it's about remembering, as my dad would say, go back to my dad being (laughs) remembering who I am and then taking care of myself first, self-care. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds kind of maybe even like a little bit woo-woo, but I think that that's essentially what it boiled down to. You're right. Like woo-woo, trivial, whatever. It says, okay, self-care. But, you know, I see, I see posts going out from people in my community and people who I follow and they're, you know, they're saying things like, I'm broken. You know, I'm not okay. I'm, you know, yes, this is still hard or, you know, we're not over it. And all of these messaging and, you know, I think it's really important to be able to wave that white surrender flag and say, okay, I'm actually not okay at the moment. And, you know, what you've said that I think is so important or important for people to hear is waving the white surrender flag and then the care comes from within and it's not going and getting a manicure or going and getting your hair cut. And it makes me so frustrated. No, I haven't had a haircut in a year. And- <laughs> like, But it's, it's so trivializing what self-care looks like. And what you said that I think is so important is it starts with sleeping, feeding my body good food, moving my body, reconnecting to my spiritual self through journaling or meditation or whatever modality works for you, stepping away a little bit. And, you know, I love how you're talking about that because in the wealth management financial field, that's not really a message that is shared very often. And yet it has been the crux of your success. And I think that's so cool. And to that, you know, I was advised by my fractional marketing group that helps me out with my podcast. Not helps me out. I mean, I've hired them and engaged with them. Basically, I was posting here and there things in my social media around my running and just pieces like that. And they suggested to me to really embrace that, especially like LinkedIn is my my core social spot for connecting. And especially during COVID when, you know, I wasn't going out to networking events and that kind of thing. So I've doubled down as a term that I've used frequently in, in my material. I doubled down on that. When I'm inspired to share something, I'm sharing it and I've started to hashtag it running reflections because running is, you know, part of my moving meditation. A lot of things come to me. I get clarity when I go out, 
go out for a run. And the interesting thing is, Sheila, when I look back at the engagement on social, and even when I have guests on my podcast, those posts are the posts that get the highest views and comments. And if it's not on, on LinkedIn directly, I'm getting direct messages. And I have started to repurpose that into part of my, you know, my email communication. There's not a time when I don't send out one of those messages that I, that I get a reply from somebody in some way, shape or form. And I think you get those messages or you've started to since we talked just more recently. I, I always get somebody making a comment back, which means it really does resonate. And so what I would say too, on that is I'm not trying to pretend with these messages that everything is okay. I'm also saying with those messages, you don't have to be uber negative either. Like there's this, ha- there's this place in between. And I'm not talking about anyone who may like literally be clinically depressed, but there is this, this point in time where if you take care of yourself, there is a way that you can build your resilience and, and move forward. So just let me be clear, like clinically speaking and all that kind of stuff, like it's been a tough time and there are definitely people that need help beyond just sleeping and eating right. But you have to start. Yeah. If you're not doing that, then you're, 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 you're really doing yourself a, a disservice. I agree. And, you know, shout out to Susan Diaz and, and Will Lamont from C plus P digital and also to D from D from Boswell Buck creative. They as marketers know the impact of showing up and being real. And, you know, I always laugh with D like, I'll, I'll write this. I'd like to think it was eloquently written, thought provoking, you know, something about some aspect of business that challenges you to think differently. And it might get a couple likes. And then, you know, just this last week, I had taken this stupid photo at seven in the morning at the laundromat in the little sleepy cottage town that we go to because I do all all of our laundry before we come home. And I did all six loads in 23 minutes because you could do three at a time. <laughs> Post 10 times the amount of engagement as this eloquently written, beautiful post. And, you know, I think C plus P digital and D Basel back, like they're on it. They get it. And Mm -hmm. as business owners, people for sure want to learn from us and, but they actually also want to know us and see a little bit of themselves in us and our business and what we're dealing with. And that, that relatability has that been a big growth lever for you in terms of growing your client base? I'm not sure. Actually, it's something, it's like a KPI I've never really specifically paid attention to. I guess I could say anecdotally, simple answer would be yes. Yeah. I think that at the end of the day, in my industry, we're talking about really an industry of trust, likability and trust. I'd have to say yes. But I don't have a, I, I couldn't tell you from a very practical and pragmatic numbers fashion that, that the answer is yes, but anecdotally, yeah. So I did a process with you. You walked me through a process to help identify sort of the, the opportunities to add more value and to leverage and scale my company as we grow and as we add this new arm. And it was, it was a really neat process. What are some of the mistakes that either you've made? that you have fixed and or you see other people making all the time and wish they would fix when it comes to 
building a company that would then have the potential to be sold? Well, the, the biggest thing is, and I live it, the biggest thing is as the owner of the business, being overly involved in too many aspects of delivery of operations as opposed to having fully a team or or simply just relaxing and allowing uh, others to step in and take care of things and i think it's as much human nature as anything else and for me you know recently call it experience when you when you do hire and it's not working out and you've got somebody who's working with you and things are, and you're trying to make something, you're trying to, you're trying to fit that square pig into the round hole and you think you're doing a great thing. And yet, you know, if I go to all the literature that's out there and even my experience is that when you have the wrong person on the bus or even when you have the right person on the bus in the wrong seat, it's a big thing. So people. Right. At the end of the day, people and and fitting the right role. And that's also remembering what our role is as a business owner. I'd say that's the biggest, the biggest thing. And that drives so many other factors from the financial perspective, from the time perspective. So what are we doing as the business owner? And are we doing too many things? Are we doing the wrong things? Like, are we doing the $100 jobs versus the $100,000 jobs? That's what I would say. And and, uh, what you're referring to. It's a program that that I've started to embrace that was really introduced by John Warlow through his Built to Sell book. And as a financial advisor right now, I think I'm the only one in uh, my area that is embracing this and starting to roll it out. He's created from his many years of research and his own experience as a business owner who has sold a couple of businesses, looked at what are the drivers of value for a business from the eyes of an acquirer. So let's face it, as a business owner, at some point in time, we're going to exit our business. So we're either going to exit it with purpose or we're going to exit it kind of by accident or by happenstance. So at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do is help the business owners that I work with to create the most value in their business as possible. Because let's face it, many of us, when we look at our personal balance sheet, our business is the greatest or the biggest asset on there, possibly short of real estate if we own a home and a cottage, but our business is, is likely the biggest asset. So that's that big, hairy, audacious goal of doubling the number of self-made millionaires. So what is that? Let's help business owners have a cash rich exit, bringing us back to the drivers of business value from the eyes of an acquirer. You can exit your business by selling it to a third party. And maybe that third party is buying it because they can see the potential of the future cash flows, future profitability, future revenue. And so we'd call that a financial buyer. Maybe it's a strategic buyer. So it's a business. Maybe it's even a competitor. Maybe it's a supplier or maybe you are, you are supplying to a company and there's a strategic, that's the whole idea here, strategic link. And so they might want to buy your business. Maybe it's to the management team. Maybe it's an intergenerational transfer. Maybe it's a shutdown and a selling off of services, trademarks, or products or inventory. And heaven forbid it's because of unexpected tragedy, like getting our angel wings a little earlier than expected, or a disability, or 
some other kind of tragic situation like that, but that entails an exit from the business. What the value builder program essentially does is it breaks things down into pieces, looking at the key areas in which value can be created for a business. And I have like umpteen episodes on my podcast that talk about that. I'm a millionaire, so now what? And in particular, throughout the month of September, as I'm leading into some programming later in November of 2021, and hopefully, well, that'll be the second year. So I'm looking at this as being an annual piece. And so you're going to hear all of this throughout, smattered throughout the podcast And if anyone is interested, if I could do like a little shameless plug. So if anyone was interested in joining the distribution list, so I'd send out links to information and guests on my podcast and little tidbits of pieces about the value builder. That's, I think, what you were talking about in terms of you went through that questionnaire and assessment. And I think in your case, it didn't necessarily open your eyes to anything new. It really said, yep. You know what you need to work My on. hunch is correct is yeah. what it did. That was like I I had this inkling that I needed to make a very strategic hire and, you know, the process helped. But, you know, there's too many entrepreneurs I see who who aren't seeing that what they're doing now is actually part of their retirement plan and they're not paying into a pension plan. They're not paying into RRSPs or, you know, a, a 401k or something that's going to support them when they retire. And it's the saddest thing, but I, I have worked with some women who are well into their seventies who would like to be retiring, but they can't because they haven't built that nest egg and their business isn't sellable. They don't have the elements that are in it. So I love that you're, mm-hmm. you know, kind of taking a stand for the underdog here a little bit and saying, Hey, we all have something to sell. And, you know, even with me, like I was saying, well, the business as it is right now is not sellable because it's really built on my IP. And you were like, well, that's not totally true. <laughs> so I have two more questions and then I'm going to let you go. The first thing is, and you, you've kind of already answered a part of the second question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. First question is, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you were starting out your business? That's a good one. <laughs> I feel like my answer to this changes over time, right? I, you know what? It really goes back to my comments on the self care and the confidence. And if I could have been in my, you know, my 27 year old shoes when I moved into the wealth management role, I, I think I would have made the decision to not so much do the every anyone who has money and can breathe and smoke up a mirror or a glass is my potential client. If I had more confidence that I have now, and again, how you get confidence is something you have to build. But if I didn't doubt myself and I niched down sooner, it would have made things a lot easier. It's like, offering a whole bunch of different things to a whole bunch of different people as opposed to a smaller offering to a very select group of people. Every single business book you find is going to tell you the same thing. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, knowing it and doing it, are, you know, I think we all know that I think the quote is the riches are in the niches. But just because we know that we know in our heart that we really can help pretty much anyone. But that doesn't help the marketing. So I love, you know, I think it's a great reminder and a great reiteration. You know, when's the last time 
you know, if you're listening today, when's the last time you went back through your your ideal client profile? Mm-hmm. You know, are, are you in the right spot to be talking to them? Are you talking about the right things? You know, it's such a great reminder. And then the second question is, what's next for you? Where 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 are you going next? Oh, well, I, I did say that the journey was not done, right? I actually just, was it yesterday or the day before somebody asked me about what I was going to do after retirement. And I can't imagine. I mean, I figure I've got a solid 15, 20 year runway ahead of me still. And I've got a lot of gray hair. <laughs> right <now>. Me too. <laughs> I love the gray, actually. I really think it's very classy. Yeah. Well, so what's next for me is our marketing friends there. I'm doubling down on my efforts around supporting the self-made nation, the CEO, founder, business owners, doubling down on my efforts to bring to life this great impact that I want to have, doubling the number of self-made millionaires. What precisely that looks like, Sheila, check in with me in a year, 18 months, three years. I'm open to where this is is taking me. So as much as I'm a practical, pragmatic person and, you know, like my tactics and my routine, I also am a big believer in putting out to the universe this greater energy of, you know, what I want to accomplish and accepting the opportunities that come my way. And to rewind to the beginning of the conversation of how I got into wealth management, it's this kind of idea that I talked about in the past before I really thought of things like the energy of the world, which just opportunity knocks. You got to open the door. And I don't mean, you know, necessarily do a full due diligence, but you got to open the door and say, hmm, is this the pathway I want to take? Yes or no. But don't leave the door shut. I'm not sure how many more doors I have to open, but I know I just opened a new one here in my brand new house, which two months ago I would have had no idea that I was going to be here. So, you know, what's next for me? I think sky's the limit. Right. And it truly is. And I look forward to seeing what doors open. And uh, I really appreciate sort of being on your train. I will be one of your statistics of people who do make the self-made millionaire status. And Thank you for your support for everything that you're doing for small business owners. And if you haven't followed Colleen, where's the best place that we can find you? Best place, I would say, would be probably LinkedIn would be one place. Of course, I mentioned I have a podcast. You can find it on most of the platforms. I usually send people to iTunes, but I know not everyone's on iTunes. The name of it is I'm a Millionaire, So Now What? Inspiration for the Self-Made Nation. And yeah, those would be the, those would be the two main places to, to find me. My name is pretty unique. So if you Google me, <laughs> that's a lot of C's in one name. Colleen O'Candle. Yeah. Connell Campbell. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Well, thank you for taking time to share with us today. I think you've just dropped so many truth bombs and little insights that are so helpful to so many. We wish you much, much success on this next phase of your journey. Thanks, Sheila. I'm looking forward to chatting with whoever wants to meet you. Yeah, I love it. Okay, we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to The Road to Seven. If you found value in what you've heard today, please leave us a five-star rating and a written review. You might just get a shout-out on an upcoming episode, and you never know when I'm going to be mailing some surprise treats to our reviewers. Make sure to subscribe so you automatically get notified when new episodes are released. 
Are you looking for a way to connect with other entrepreneurs that are facing the same challenges as you? I'd love to connect with you in the Road to 7 Facebook group on Instagram and LinkedIn. Just head to SheilaCummins.com. You will find all the links that you need right there. Together, we'll explore more ways to support your shift into action so that you can grow your business to finally match your vision. I love aligning your vision of success with strategic and intentional actions because that is how we will grow your business to match your vision. I focus on women, all women, because women hold the keys and the power to creating a powerful and positive world through their impact. We'll see you on the next episode.